0: Open in God's words with me, if you would, to Acts chapter nine. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Philip, the ministry he had in Samaria, and how he, the the gospel was spread there. We talked about the the. Um, the conflict between the, the Samaritans and the Jews, and how that the, the Samaritans had set up their own tabernacle, their own altar at Mount Gerizim, so that they could worship the Lord because they didn't feel welcomed in Jerusalem, and they weren't. It had been, but they weren't. Um, and so there was this. There was this. What do I say? Bigotry. The bigotry between the Jews and the and the Samaritans. The Samaritans were the the half and half, the mixed race. When the Syrians carried half the half the people off, and they infilt- they, they brought back in to, to dilute the population. They brought back Gentiles from other nations to to live in the land, and they intermarried in that. And so the Jews didn't accept them as as Jews because they were mixed race. Philip. Then he, he, he shifted from the from the mass, the mass. Um, boy, I'm just not getting my words. Um, from from. Uh, yeah, he didn't change. <laughs> I remember we we said he he changed his methods, but not the message. And his method went from preaching to the to the masses to personal evangelism, to, to preach into the Ethiopian eunuch on uh, his carriage on his way back to Ethiopia, and how Philip had come alongside, and, and he preached Jesus to him. Well, it, because of time, I kind of cut the sermon off there. I had a, a, a reading I wanted to share, and I'm going to do it now, um, talking about, well, okay, so we preached about Jesus. What does that mean? but I just enjoyed the way W.A. Criswell put it, so I am going to read from his book, um, Acts and Exposition. The gospel message, and we, we like to say the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus, okay? The gospel message is Jesus, and Jesus only. The gospel message is Jesus born of a virgin, The gospel message is Jesus ministering to the people. The gospel message is Jesus dying on the cross. The gospel message is Jesus buried in the tomb. The gospel message is Jesus raised from the dead. Jesus ascended into heaven. The gospel message is Jesus at the right hand of God, our mighty mediator and intercessor, and Jesus coming again someday for his own. The gospel message is Jesus. One of the most moving stories I've ever heard about Dr. Truett came from a man who had been with him in India. Dr. Truett had been sent on a preaching mission around the world and finally came to the vastly populated subcontinent of India. There he was invited to preach to a state university. Before he came to the school, he was warned of the reception that he would most certainly receive in that hostile environment because of the Brahmin influence, the school officials warned. When you are through preaching, people in the audience will accost you in the message that you have delivered. They will ask you questions that are difficult to answer. They will contradict and interdict everything that you say. Do not be upset or surprised at the reception that you will receive. Dr. Truitt prayed. The time came when he stood before the university to deliver God's message about Jesus. When he had delivered the sermon, he sat down. The president of the school stood behind the platform desk waiting for the vicious contradictions. He waited and there was nothing but a long silence. Finally, a Brahmin stood up and said to the president, Sir, we have nothing against the Christ this man has preached. How much we can say against the church and the people in it. How much criticism and much of it justly said against the way we live and do Christ's work in the earth. But it is difficult to find fault with the Son of God. The gospel message is Jesus, the Christ. Jesus is the plan of salvation. Always and without variation in the Bible, wherever God tells a man how to be saved, he points to the Lord Jesus. There is no other word, no other scripture, no other. The scripture is always pointing to Jesus. Now this next part, if if any of you recognize or have heard of this, he's talking about a cathedral in Europe, and I, I had never heard of it in the time we were in Europe, but if any of you know what it is, he, and he doesn't in his footnotes or anything tell you what cathedral he's talking about, so if any of you know this cathedral or have been there or something, let me know afterwards, would you, because I'd love to know where this is. A man described for me one time an unusual cathedral that he had visited in Europe. He said that at the front of the cathedral was a statue of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then all the way around the great sanctuary, there were statues of the patriarchs, prophets, and apostles. He said, they were arranged like this. Over here, there would be a statue of Jacob, whom God named Israel, pointing to Christ. On the base of the statue would be a word from the scripture saying, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and to him shall the gathering of the people be, Genesis 49.10. Then next to him would be a statue of Job pointing to Christ. On the base was the scripture written, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, Job 19.25. And next to him was the prophet Isaiah pointing to Christ. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all, Isaiah 53, 6 and 7. Next to him would be the statue of John the Baptist, pointing to Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Next to him, a statue of Simon Peter, pointing to Christ. To him give all the prophets witness, witness that through his name we should receive remission of sin, Acts ten forty three. Next to him was the Apostle Paul, pointing to Christ. God hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Next to him, the saint the sainted apostle John, pointing to Christ, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, to him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation one five and 6. What an effective and beautiful portrayal. The whole word of God points to Jesus. There is no place in the Bible where God tells a man how to be saved, but that he points to Jesus. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. John 1, 11 and 12. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3, 14 and 15. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Acts 16.31 If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.9 This was the Jesus that Philip preached to the Ethiopian eunuch. This was the Jesus that that Stephen died for. This was the Jesus that, that the apostles went to preach. It is this Jesus that as the Jews were scattered from Jerusalem due to the persecution, that they went up to Damascus and and had there were already synagogues there, but a lot of them escaped to there so that by, by the time Saul is on his way up to Damascus to, to chase down some of those Christians, there's a good-sized group there. We're going we're gonna to look at... <laughs> One time in my studying this week, I really thought I'd make it through to verse 22, but we're going to try to make it to verse 9. We're going to break it down. Verses 1 and 2 are Saul in the dark, and then 3 through 9, Saul in the light. So, the first two verses, now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priests and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Okay? Damascus is, as the crow flies, about 158 miles from Jerusalem. As the roads went and weaved, it was closer to 190 miles. So it was going to take him a while to get there, maybe a week. It was going to take some time. but we do know that, that during that, that time his, Saul's hatred for Christians didn't didn't wane. And why, why was he so upset? because he was born he, as he brags later as Paul, he brags of being a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had a, he, he was trained in the school of Gamaliel. He, if, if anybody had anything in in, the, in human eyes to brag about, it was him. He was he was a pure blood. He was he was a Jew. There, there, he was no mixed. He was not part of the, the Samaritans. Um, you know, if anybody could pat themselves on the shoulder, he probably had a sore elbow from patting his own back. But he had a, he had a hatred for the Jews. Excuse me. He had a hatred for the way or the disciples of Jesus, because they didn't follow the old script. Remember we say, Jesus fulfilled the... Help me out. Jesus fulfilled the law, and Jesus fulfilled the Temple. temple. And those that wanted to stay stuck in the old ways, that didn't want to accept Jesus as the Messiah... Just felt like Christians wanted to ruin their way of life, and if they followed Jesus, then they wouldn't be so bound to the temple. They wouldn't have, people wouldn't feel obligated to come, and and then the priests, well, they they wouldn't feel so important because they weren't getting all the attention. And that's what the, the Pharisees were all about. It, it wasn't about, you know, they were told in in the prophets in Isaiah and Ezekiel. Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming. And then when the Messiah came, they were blind. They didn't realize or see that it was Jesus the Messiah that had been talked about was actually here now. They wanted to keep worshiping in the old ways. And so he was bound and determined. Saul's Saul's goal was to eradicate Christians. Wipe them out. Kill them. Literally kill them. They would gotten to the point. I mean, he stood there. Doesn't say he threw any stones when Stephen was killed, but he stood there and watched the coats of those that did. And it was, if we, um, verse one of chapter eight, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. Talking about Stephen, he he had all this hatred in his heart. But you know, the the sad part is, is he thought he was doing God's will. He thought he was doing the right thing. A lot of times we can think we're doing the right thing, but God God is a discerner of the heart. He knows our thoughts. He knows our attitudes and and why we say and do things. He, He doesn't just hear what we do and say. He knows why we do and say them. But soon... Soon, verse 9 there, it says he's still breathing threats and murder. I mean, it was just part of his being. It was part of who he was, was, was to try to wipe out the way in this this Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah, the Son of God, and, and, and yet they didn't see it. They just didn't get it. But it says he's still breathing threats and murder, and, and what's interesting is that in just a very short period of time, that same breath is going to be breathing and praying and praising God because of what God is going to do through him. And, folks, this wasn't just a sudden thing. God's been working on him. God's been working on, on Saul right along. And we'll, we'll, I'm going to get ahead of myself. We'll read about that in a couple of verses but you can and as you read verses 1 and 2 you just you sense the hatred that he had and i think it's interesting that he went to the high priest to get letters to go to damascus remember what we were just saying about the samaritans because damascus is up north in, in samaria it's at the northern end and edge of the the uh 10 tribes of the north it's just kind of funny because the samaritans and that land had little to no respect whatsoever for the high priest. So just, just kind of ironic. No spiritual meaning to it or anything. It's just, just one of those kind of things to understand in the context that it's just kind of, kind of interesting that he's going to the high priest to get letters to, for permission to go to the synagogues in Damascus, and, and the Samaritans don't give a hoot, really. It, it just is not their concern. But he's, he's trying to do it by the book, because after all, he is a Pharisee, right? So he's trying to cross his, cross his T's and dot all of his I's. Verse 3, And it came about that as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. But rise and enter the city, and it shall be told you what you must do. And the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one, or hearing the sound is is a more direct translation, but some translations have the voice Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing, and leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. He was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. This is, through divine inspiration, this is Luke sharing the story of Paul, but we get a little more directly from Paul himself in chapters 19 and 26, referring back to this event, and in, in talking about... Um, talks a little bit more and fills in some of the details of what went on. Um, one thing this this portion doesn't tell you, and again, not that it has any great spiritual meaning, but just, just to get a picture of it, is that all of the men fell over. It wasn't just Saul that was knocked off his feet. All of them were knocked over. The, and, and one thing I've never never thought about before. You see the, the Sunday school pictures with the you know just the bright light. It's it's shinier, it's brighter than the, the sun of the day. I've never stopped to think it was a flash. It wasn't the light that stayed there and, and just lit everything up for hours or minutes even. It was a flash to get for for God Jesus to get Saul's attention. But it was such a flash um, you know, some people want to say it's lightning. God could have used lightning. I, I'm not too concerned how we did it. We just know that God sent a flash of light that, that knocked everybody off their feet. Now, there, there's also thought, too, was Paul riding on a horse? Was he riding a donkey or was he walking? How far did he fall? Because he didn't seem to sustain any major injuries. Other, Yeah, yeah people get goofy, but um, some like to think that it was a horse. Um, the thing is, there was one of the, the laws, the Pharisees didn't ride horses. I, I don't understand or know why, but Pharisees just didn't ride horses. So if he was riding anything, it was most likely a donkey. He could have been walking. Either way, he fell. He, he went to the ground. He hit the deck because of the bright light of God getting his attention. Okay? He fell to the ground, and there was also another another physical reaction. He couldn't see anything. Uh, verse eight talks about that, and um, yeah, and then verse nine says he was three days without sight. So there were some physical reactions to that encounter. He says, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" If you'll look and write this down for further study, those of you who wanted to dig deeper this week, Matthew 25, verses 34 to 46, where he, Christ talks about, you fed me when I was hungry, you clothed me when I was cold, you gave me water to drink. And they said, when did we do that, Lord? And he says, when you do it under one of these. So here it's the same thing. Why are you persecuting me? Is he's, he's persecuting, he's putting to death Jesus' own. He's, he's, he's putting to death and persecuting those that follow Jesus and that are his disciples. Jesus takes that very personally. He takes that very personally. So if I persecute you, it's as though I'm persecuting Jesus. Okay, that's that's what he's saying here. Why are you persecuting me? And that he's persecuting his disciples. Interesting, verse 5. Who art thou, Lord? He didn't recognize the voice of the shepherd. You know, the sheep hear me and know my voice of the, of the good shepherd. Saul did not recognize his voice. As religious as he was, As learned as he was in the, you know, had his PhD in the school of Gamaliel, he still didn't know Jesus. So, don't matter how smart you are, don't matter how good your grammar are, that was hard to say. (laughs) If you don't know Jesus, you're not going to recognize the shepherd's voice. And Saul did not recognize him. And Jesus said, "I am Jesus," and and he uses the personal name. This was the name that that he was given at birth by his parents. This was the 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 name that those his buddies playing on the playground at school would would have called him. It's a very personal name. It's it's um, the the name that means Savior, Jehovah the Savior. He says, "I am Jesus." Whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads or the, or the pricks. Think, think of what's happened in the past few months of, of, of Jesus going before the Pharisees, before his crucifixion. Saul knew what he was trying to eradicate. He knew who Jesus was. He just didn't know him. As, as, as staunch and as strong as a Pharisee, is. is uh, Saul was. He, he had to have been there through some of the trials. And, and I'm sure that he was quite aware that Christ was crucified on the cross. And that there were rumors that, that he had resurrected. But Saul didn't believe any of that because that didn't fit with his belief system. But Saul knew who he was. They were they were alive at the same time. This was going on. Saul Saul knew. Okay. In 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 those times where, where Jesus is, is testifying before the the Pharisees before the resur- or before the crucifixion. Saul saw what was going on. He saw how humble this man was. He saw the the physical torture that he was put through and how he reacted to that. He saw the face of Stephen. He saw Stephen kneeling and praying as he's being murdered. God forgive them for they don't know what they do. Saul was right there. He had the front row seat. He is seeing the effect that Jesus has on people's lives. And how earnestly he was there. He was there when the, the long sermon, uh, what chapter was uh, that? That Stephen gave before the council, and he basically gave a review of the history of of, of the Jews. And in the, the whole time, every step, when when Stephen was accusing them of murdering Christ, of murdering the Messiah, Saul was there. Most likely, I find it really hard to believe that he wasn't. Being the Pharisee of Pharisee, he's going he's gonna to stand up against anything that's going to threaten the, the, the work of getting rid of the way. So he would have been aware, and he knew what was going on. And as he sees the peace on Stephen's face and the forgiveness uh, uh, in his prayer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This, this isn't the first encounter that Saul's had with Christ. Jesus says, rise, enter the city, and it shall be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul, in the light, okay, he was in the dark, in verses 1 and 2, verses 3 through 9, he's in the light. And while in that light, he saw the glory of Christ. That was the light that knocked him all over. But he saw the glory of Christ and he heard the voice of Christ he compared let me see oh yeah in 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 that illustration of it's hard for you to kick against the, the goads or the pricks. He, Jesus is essentially comparing Saul to a young bull, a rambunctious bull that, that wants to go and do everything and, and wants to. He, he's zealous in what he's doing. Even though what he's doing is wrong, he's very zealous and, and, and he's going to charge forward with it at any cost. And finally, the young bull is broken. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. Leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. The the one that had been the leader in the persecution, the one that had been the leader trying to kill out and wipe out the way, is now being led by the hand. Because God has intervened in his life. He's three days without sight, neither ate or drank. As soon as I read that, the first verse comes to mind, Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. And God set three days aside for Saul just to think, to stop and think about what he had done. And what, where his life had been and where it was going. And now that he was going to acknowledge Jesus in his life. And he was going to now start preaching that Jesus the way that he had tried to wipe out. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And Jesus is making that real in Saul's life now. Sin imprisons us. Grace liberates us. And you know what? What? Paul later, Saul, Paul later declares that he's the greatest of sinners. There is no greater sinner than him. That should give us hope. I'm sure there's people, and there always is, that say, oh, God couldn't possibly love me. I'm such a mess. I'm such a sinner. There's no way God could love me. God can't forgive my sins. He absolutely can and he will. If you come and you ask, Father, give me the please give me the gift of eternal life. Nothing we can do for it but accept it. Christ did all the work for us. There's nothing that we can do for it. He's already done it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of watching Saul go from the dark to the light, to seeing the glory of the risen Christ, for having the change in his heart to want to be part of the way, to be part of your truth. And as this man ministers in the chapters to come, and the, we look at his different missionary trips, we thank you that, as Proverbs 21 1 says, that the, the heart of the king is like rivers of water, channels of water, and God directs it where he wills. Thank you for directing Saul to Paul. Thank you for turning his life around and being such an instrument and tool used by you to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ through the Middle East part of the world, and even to to Europe. Thank you for the privilege of us being able to see him do that in, in your word. Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, please, please, Father, chase their heart, make them uncomfortable, Convict them of their sin. Let them know that you love them, just as you loved Saul, on his way to to kill more Christians. You still loved him and chose him to carry out your work. Thank you for loving us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll have a five.